didn't think it could happen, folks. It's the 30th episode of The Plunge, and we're still serving up the freshest content, consisting of the most pungent stories in politics, pop culture, and even our own lives. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and tell all your friends about us, all three of them. This week, there was another cascade of crappiness with cops complaining about seasoning, calmness howling at Susan Sarandon, and pernicious arguments about civility for fascists roaming around the vast expanse of online. In pop culture, we're talking about James Woods, comedians in cars getting coffee, and the latest Netflix hype magnet, Nanette with Hannah Gadsby. Rachie will stop by for a roundtable take on this not-so-comedic comedy special, and we'll close out with a blockbuster, legally hypothetical tale that we call Grand Theft Succulent. As always, we're bringing the freshest takes on the worst stories, opinions, and TV products out there. Swallow the pill, folks. This is The Plunge. Episode 30. Sam, did you ever think we'd make it this far? I mean, I'm amazed I even made it to the age that I'm at, so every day is a new surprise. (laughs) This is your source for information from two average Joes who have a keen interest in the news and the culture and the, I don't know, Sam, the sludge pouring out every second into our poor poor souls i like to think that we provide the voice that you know cuts through the bullshit but that might just be my own pretentious brain coming up with things we've lasted several scaramuchis by this point but uh i mean someone else who you gotta think of like all the other people out there who have just fucking like years of material and they get paid tons of money for it i'm thinking of like jordan peterson here (laughs) he is such a fucking hypocrite did you see how disgusting his room was (laughs) his room was totally unclean obviously despite one of his rules for success right and this was in a video where he was like doing a skype interview or something or maybe it was just his own youtube channel but his room was a real mess and Sam actually encountered a Jordan Peterson fan in real life. Oh yeah, baby! Today at the gym, I was uh, trying to get some, trying to get my midday sweat on, I guess. And I heard, I guess, like a personal trainer talking to like a a liberal seeming female client, and he in gen- I think they were talking about gun control or something. I wasn't listening too closely, but they were clearly like having a the basic kind of like centrist liberal versus some sort of conservative who thinks that he's, you know, uh, stumbled upon something that no one's ever thought of before. And of course that means that he's going to start 
genuinely suggesting this woman watch Jordan Peterson videos. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he brought, God help her. I know. He brought up the the you know, the shit about the transgender bill that he that Jordan Peterson hates so much that like made him famous or whatever. But I wasn't listening too closely, but she was definitely like eating it up. She's like, I agree with so much of what you said that this guy is saying and I was like, Lady, you need to <laughs> you need to extract yourself from this conversation quickly. Well, if if you have a lot of virgins in one room, then they're a lot like a lobster, you know? And every person's a miracle unless they're trans. Yeah, and the worst part of it of listening to this was the guy kept saying, like, a lot of people misunderstand uh, Professor Peterson when he literally called him Professor Peterson because he's a fucking loser. And he kept just, you know, saying over and over again, like, people don't understand what he's trying to say. They think he's trying to say one thing. I'm like, nobody understands that Jordan Peterson says. He has, like, full-page dioramas of, like, dragons and shit in his stupid books, of which he has precisely two that make zero sense between the two of them. Like, I, I don't understand how you can look into that and find any meaning. It's, it's just, it's distressing, and it makes me feel worse about where we're at in the discourse and other things. I watched Mulan 17 <laughs> times last week, and I will not abide by its feminist messaging. <laughs> I have been very frightened by a movie called the man who came to dinner in which a black man is treated with fairness and humility. Yeah, so Peterson, he's not to be taken seriously in any way. And anytime you encounter a Peterson fan in real life, uh, it's your duty to mock them or at the very least uh, talk about them behind their back on a podcast. Yeah, baby. So, here's a great story. I believe it is, yep, Fort Myers, Florida. A police officer claims that his Burger King served him dirt in a viral Facebook post that happened to be seasoning. <laughs> this is my favorite. Like, I mean, people are always joking that white people wouldn't see no seasoning if it literally hit them in the face and this is the perfect example we invited senior level fort myers police department officials and with the regional manager god imagine this like small business tyrant like <laughs> reviewed video of the cooking process the day the officer received his meal nay determined nothing was inappropriate yeah, apparently they were, you know, triggered or whatever because, like, the cops were triggered because it said police on their order. But I will tell you that, I mean, I've worked in the service industry. Putting, like, a little qualifier on there is, I think, risky because if the customer sees it, they assume it's some attack on them. But either way, it's pretty fucking common to put, I don't know, police or three girls, like, two guys so that the person who picks up the ticket afterwards knows who it refers to it's not it's not like outlandish to do that i don't think it, it is logical to conclude that they were targeted because of it so here's the facebook post from the officer uh, his name is tim mccormick he said in the post on facebook and this was under a pseudonym mac o'durham 
I was the officer who was served a burger at Burger King at 4004 Cleveland Ave. Ask me Myers, anything. <laughs> in Fort Myers with dirt in it. At first, I thought it was just burned old bacon. I was hungry and ate the burger. At the last bite, I saw dirt and grit on the burger. In disgust, I threw it out of the window. <laughs> The, the post started. Oh, my God. I mean, number one, we should get mad at the Burger King staff for not having actually put, burger, like, dirt on the cop's burger. Obviously, they missed an opportunity here. But it's so funny that they're so scared these days. They know that they're so unpopular that they expect to have their food, like, tampered with because people know who they are and shit. I quickly noticed that my receipt had big block letters with the word police on it. This has never been the case previously. I went inside and made contact with the manager who said, Sorry, what do you want me to do? Just before speaking to the manager, the staff member from the drive-thru asked, What's the matter, officer? Something wrong with your order? Then she and the other staff had a good laugh. Someday, we first responders just want to grab a quick bite because we are overwhelmed with calls, and this is how we are treated. Oh I contacted God. cooperate officers, and they said, Not our problem. We'll have the franchise owner contact you. When contacted by the franchise owner, he said, it is impossible for dirt to get into food. You're crazy. So to my brothers and sisters, I say, only eat at safe places and check your food beforehand. Excelsior! <laughs> of course, he actually ends it with Excelsior. <laughs> what a dork. I mean, this guy literally just told everyone that he thinks that he had to, like, eat dirt. And he says that he ate the burger. So, like, if it was really dirt... You finished the dirt burger? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, throw that shit away. This is as irrational as the people who say Susan Sarandon has a huge influence on our uh, nation's, uh, well, maybe on uh, the discourse she has a huge influence, but not in people fucking voting. Yeah, this is definitely something that's flared up lately. She's definitely a sort of bogeyman of the discourse these days, the centrist. Right, whatever Trump atrocity comes up, right. the centrists say, well, Susan Sarandon, you right. happy now? Yes, yeah, Susan Sarandon, more than, I guess, Putin or anyone else fucking, like, swung this election somehow just by being so wildly relevant that everyone instantly heard that she was going to vote for Jill Stein instead of Hillary Clinton, and everyone voted for Jill Stein as, like, the theory. Which is, of course, this is all demonstrably false. And I think this popped up in a big Guardian column by this lady, Marina Hyde. I don't know who she is. The UK has even more fucking awful opinion writers than we could even imagine here in the U.S., but it just goes in on her and says that she's like a, an asset of Donald Trump who works for the president because she got him elected by convincing everyone to vote for Jill Stein instead of Hillary Clinton or something. What? Like, who votes based on the fucking like actors? Like, <laughs> I, I'm and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't I don't think like the celebrity like influence matters a whole lot. Am, am I am I wrong in thinking that? Like, do any Notable election 
statisticians have anything to say about this? Yeah, yeah, I think this is like something that people never bring. I, I don't think there is this importance on the celebrity factor, or like as if what. So if Beyonce and Jay Z had had. I guess endorsed like Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton. That wouldn't. It just doesn't make any sense that people would have all of a sudden flocked to Donald Trump or something over her because of like the, the what celebrities think. I don't think that is how people form their politics. Case in point is the Kanye thing, right? Because I don't think he created any new Trump supporters. Yes. If anything, he just galvanized like his le- liberal fans against him, and, or I, I don't know. It's yeah, it, clearly people don't actually function this way. And Susan Sarandon doesn't have like a mob of fans who are hinging on her every word and the fact that she spoke out against like you know just like the centrist corporatist uh, message of Hillary Clinton. For that, sure, like she should be marred for years. And uh, it's just absurd. Like, it's ridiculous. She, she's an actor. It's ridiculous to do it to Susan Sarandon. And it's also, this is a good time maybe to debunk this common myth that somehow Jill Swan- Stein was like a Jill spoiler. Swine. Jill Swine. <laughs> <laughs> no, either way, I think there's this, like, th- it's really easy to disprove. I mean, even, I think, Nate Silver, like, a month after the election at 538, had an article that basically was, like, it's total nonsense to suggest that Jill Stein somehow garn- swung so many people from the Democrats that it had any kind of demonstrable impact. It's based on some faulty math. It doesn't take anything into account. One thing it does specifically doesn't take into account is that people don't talk about Gary Johnson this way on the Trump side. If everyone who had voted for jo- Gary Johnson instead voted for Donald Trump, then he would have won the popular vote and the electoral college. <laughs> so it's really not uh... yeah. It's really not like a a productive line of reasoning to get behind, I don't think. I feel like a lot of time is wasted relitigating obviously the 2016 primary and the election uh which like we're gonna like dispute the election season of 2016 eternally i guess yeah it's it's never they're never gonna let it slide because it's a lot easier to relitigate the past and point fingers than it is to come up with any kind of real solution to get us out of this mess um of course that's only a certain people that's only like some centrist dipshits who write fucking newspaper columns with their free time or for a a job whatever it may be but i think we can see that this turn towards direct action in the streets and not entertaining the ideas of civility have seemingly gotten scott pruitt the former head of the epa to resign right he was confronted by a teacher in a restaurant and then days later decided he'd had enough do you have, Sam, his letter to Donald Trump? Is, is that worth even looking at, or should we just describe it? We should just describe it. I mean, he wrote that absurdly, like, obsequious and almost horny fucking letter to Donald Trump. He's like, serving you has been the great honor of my life, and everything was worth it, but the constant attacks on myself and my family have driven me out of my job of grifting the EPA at the time. This is a man who built a tens of thousands of dollar soundproof booth 
in his office. Yeah, the jack-off tube. <laughs> Didn't he have, like, bulletproof pants? Yeah, bulletproof pants. Um, he was always flying around on the ta- taxpayer's dollar. Like, he was very... I think it's so funny because he had so few friends because the Republican staffers were just sick of, like... Uh, covering for him they were sick of coming up with like stories and having him which is a thankless job to lie on behalf of your powerful boss and they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of the fucking uh, you know whatever repercussions anyway so I think he just he was so outlandish with his grift that he really had no friends at the end and, you know, it's funny to think of him. I saw someone on Twitter describe him like this. Like, he's like Donald Trump, but, like, really poor. Yeah, he's always been a bureaucrat. It's true. And, however, important to note that while it's funny to see Pruitt get shamed and, and go away, it has to be said uh, he passed or rather repealed regulations allowing, like, levels of, like, sludge to be poured into... Uh, you know, various environments and lifted um, some fossil fuel shit. Yeah, I believe be- the specifics on that. I believe they're gonna start like that. The, 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 they've been given the go ahead to start mining on like federal lands. I mean, he really the environment is definitely one thing where he was able to like kind of undo Obama's eight years in like less than two years. So. I mean, you're right on the money. He definitely got plenty done, and he's been a coal lobbyist for... He spent more than a decade as a coal lobbyist. He's hosted, like, plenty of fundraisers for Republicans who voted in favor of his confirmation as EPA head chief. Uh, Even his... Some of his, like, lesser examples of grift are so funny to me. He apparently overused the White House mess hall so much they had to ask him to stop going. God, he was probably just taking like cartons of milk home. Oh my god, it's kind of depressing. I mean, Dan, you've been in what big oil and like big coal specifically's fucking pocket for this long, and you haven't made any money at it. Like, goddamn, get paid out there. (laughs) Yeah, you must like really suck at what you do. Yeah, even when Um, when what you do is just grift. (laughs) Well, let's take a second here because I think the fawning that Scott Pruitt showed last week was very similar to what we saw from Brett Kavanaugh, the new Supreme Court nominee, which I don't think we threw that in our notes, but I think we have to just mention it. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone, apparently he picked, you know, what the fucking, the most buttoned up dude who wants to overthrow Roe v. Wade possible. The, the, there's so, as soon as he was confirmed, right, there was that New York Times op-ed that was about how, like, liberals should embrace Brett Kavanaugh because he's, like, the best we could have gotten or something. Right, and this person had also written a very similar article about, like, the liberal case for Neil Gorsuch. yes. When Neil Gorsuch was confirmed, they also released, like, a conciliatory, like, the liberals case for Neil Gorsuch right after he was confirmed. Because they clearly had one in the chamber, because this is, like, their bread and butter, is this idea that Republicans can be reasoned with, that their ideology is not, like, heinous or vicious or incivil, that they're actually nice people that you have disagreements with or something. And there was even a WAPO, Washington Post article today about the headline was basically 
I don't know Judge Brett Kavanaugh, but I know Carpool Dad Brett Kavanaugh, and he's pretty swell. He's also not the guy who's going to be actually, you know, the judge or anything. This is frustrating, and it's bleak, and... We're losing Ruth are... Roe v. Wade. I mean, this guy... I mean... This guy's like, big on that issue, so it doesn't matter how civil he is. It doesn't matter that... People are bringing up that, like, he went to Harvard or whether... Like, yes, yeah, so did every fucking Supreme Court justice. They all go to either Harvard or Yale. It has no bearing on whether they're, like good human beings or anything yeah, like dershowitz yeah, dershowitz is a harvard law professor and he's a fucking kid fucker lewandowski still i believe fellow there but regardless the civility conversation the last couple of weeks now this is something that i think like people on the left at least have been talking about since way before sarah huckabee sanders got thrown out of the red hen yeah, exactly. In real America, Virginia, too. There's a redhead in Lexington, Virginia, which is like three hours south from where I live. And I've definitely seen a lot on the left talking about how liberal or centrist people tend to be obsessed with these norms that really the Republicans obviously don't give two shits about. And they tr anyone who's braying over what fucking showing civility to donald trump who you know has mocked disabled reporters and even just recently has been just saying disgusting stuff about like the me too era and things he's a horrible human being he's a rapist you can't be incivil with him or with people who are ripping children away from their parents these people i, I saw a story about a one-year-old that an immigration judge wanted to said was like fit to stand trial it was literally crying the whole time it's fucking heinous these people are not human or at least they're very inhumane and i don't think it's worth it to like worry about being nice to them <laughs> if you ever have anyone telling you about civility values and shit why don't you just shoot them over the email the fucking i saw this like horrific story in the intercept just about like sexual abuse in these ice detention centers and like more than half of the accused are ice agents how could you give a shit about, like, where Stephen Miller goes to have sushi and whether the bartender is nice to him? It just, it's not the end of, people deserve, get to, don't, in the United States, people don't get to make their political opinions heard all the time, even though we're obsessed with this idea that we're, like, a democratic country. Realistically, you get to vote for certain politicians every so often, per their rules, and plenty of people are excluded from doing that. So... This is a good way to make your fucking opinion known. If you work in a restaurant, you don't have to serve her. If you all as a group, I think at, at Red Hen, just everyone behind the line and in the restaurant was like, we don't, we don't feel comfortable with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, especially when you consider that this administration is so racist and specifically racist against, you know, Mexican people or people from Latin America and you know, this isn't just a stereotype, but, like, Latin American people are well-represented in restaurants. And I was like, I, I, I don't understand how you can make draw any kind of equivalency between getting thrown out of a restaurant or having someone say something to you on the street and, I don't know, being raped by an ICE agent or thrown in a cage or separated from your mom or being forced to stand trial when you're two years old or any of the other bullshit that these people ha are directly responsible for. Like, incivility sometimes is, like, the only weapon you have, like... Sometimes, like, you know, just retweeting shit is not really as effective as actually directly doing something. 
Who will be posting? We need the posts. But even they don't like even the posters. So I've been sticking up lately for Auntie Maxine, who is pretty good at posting in a way. But she is. You're talking about Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters, absolutely. Democratic representative. You know, she's been in Congress for a long ass time. And she said, if you see these people, like, well, I forget what the direct quote was, but it was like, go fuck with them. Like, tell them to, you know, tell them how you feel. Like, make their lives difficult. Her, she said it specifically, I think, like, her, to harass them on the street or something, which, like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's like some, it just shows, like, you can be a mainstream politician and it's not like calling for violence. It's just saying, like, you don't have to be nice to people doing horrendous things. I also like to entertain this idea that it's, like, secretly some kind of Maoist, like, cultural revolution shit. And she's trying to get, like, the youth riled up against the, you know, our, our fucking bourgeois oppressors here. But every Democrat who, you know, members of her party, uh, every Democrat of note came out and, like, condemned this. From Chuck Schumer to Nancy Pelosi to even fucking Bernie Sanders saying, like, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has the right to go into a restaurant and have a meal. I heard your jowls in that. <laughs> I had to shake my head to, like, get the effect a little bit. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the top 10%. She decides to have a kanish at the deli. <laughs> if she wants bagels, she could have the locks as well. <laughs> Provided she's not keeping kosher. Um... And I think that Bernie, at this point, uh, he's shown uh, the last couple of months, maybe he's more like uh, Nancy Pelosi and these people than uh, we want to think. Yeah, and I think people have rightly called out some of the, maybe some of the chauvinism in his, like, uh, foreign policy. And I've always personally been of the opinion that if we on the left are to say that we're the party of the future or, like, some new alternative to the democrats then it doesn't help if we have this fucking ancient like dinosaur of a human like bernie sanders out there as our only guy like i'm not saying that he can't be part of what what the left in america means but uh it's like a, a little counterproductive to put all your eggs in one basket especially when it's, you know, someone who's... Poly- he, Bernie Sanders is more of, like, a New Deal Democrat. I feel like he's, like, a little to the left of, like, maybe Elizabeth Warren or something. And I think yeah. he's, his his political campaign, obviously, his run in 2016 was momentous and has shifted the debate in this country about the left, which is awesome. But we should be looking to people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who won recently in the Bronx slash Queens, uh, Julius Salazar, rising candidate for the New York se- State Senate. Uh, we saw Antonio Manuel Lopez Obrador overthrow, li- or literally the fucking pre, the um, w- a party that ruled Mexico as a single party for a long time, for almost a century. This Mexican president, why was John Oliver doing a segment comparing him to Trump? Now, AMLO's goals may be clear, but but the details of how he plans to achieve them can be pretty sketchy. His opponents have attacked him as a dangerous leftist, but journalists who've covered him say it's hard to judge things based on his policy platforms because they're prone to change, often seemingly overnight, and that he often makes big promises uh, while keeping his own advisers guessing as to what he really means. So in that way, he's actually more reminiscent of a Mexican Donald Trump, which I know is a weird image to conjure up, like orthodox Hitler 
Hitler or jacked Gandhi. The two concepts don't fit well together. Because John Oliver is a hack and his whole bit is like being, his comedy bit is, I don't know, it's weird because I feel like he just, sometimes he does so much research into something and it turns out well and then sometimes he will quickly dismiss something, especially when it's maybe someone f further to the left than he's comfortable with. But AMLO, the, which is what they call Antonio Manuel Lopez Obrador for short, you can see why they do that, is an interesting kind of figure. He is not, he's not perfect. He's, you gotta understand, I mean, like Mexico's political situation is a lot different than here. So it's not like an, you can make the easy analog that he's similar to Bernie Sanders. He's definitely more friendly with like corporate power in uh, Mexico than people on the left would like. But John Oliver specifically was saying that he changes his opinions quickly and that that is similar to Trump in some way. It was also the like, that he's a populist is bad. Yes, exactly. That's the other the other thing that centrists tend to cling to. I don't know. I, I just feel like with this next election cycle coming up and how it's going to just kill us all with exhaustive uh, content, like, I, I, I do wonder if people like John Oliver are going to just kind of fade away. Like, uh, I mean, to a lot of people, I'm sure he already has, but I still kind of watch... <laughs> Yeah, and when I watch a segment that he does where it's, like, some obscure topic, like, elder care or, like, chicken farming, like, to me, those are what he does well, you know, where he's actually, like, boring and he researches. Yeah, because he does some fucking research and, and talks about something that other people aren't necessarily talking about. With Amlo, Amlo is something that a lot of people are talking about because this is a momentous occasion, like I said. The uh, the party that he was victorious over was a single party that ruled Mexico for like a century. This is a momentous occasion. And he did it by, to, to the John Oliver's point that Amlo changes his policy quickly, he does this by forming coalitions with what he's drawn a lot of criticism for is by forming a coalition with more kind of evangelical, like Christian right wing groups that aren't great on obviously gender or sexuality or LGBT issues. And that is a very strong criticism to be made. And there are good criticisms to be made of AMLO from the left. But saying that he's like the Mexican Donald Trump when he's a career politician and a solid voice for the left in Mexico, which the left in Mexico is distinct from what we would consider, I guess, definitely is different than the left in America, but also different than like European leftist tradition. It's something very distinct in Mexican political culture. And the fact that he just didn't do any fucking research and quickly jumped to like, oh, he's just like Donald Trump was so fucking lame and ham-fisted to me. Yeah. And I guess quickly, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, I feel like, you know, everyone's been hearing a lot about her on every podcast, so in lieu of uh, interviewing her or something, we'll, maybe we can just uh, real quick uh, talk about why this was such a big deal, maybe, if uh, you've been asleep the last two yeah, weeks. Yeah, I mean, she's a member, she's an avowed member of the Democratic Socialist America. She's big on saying that she's a socialist. She's, I think that's the biggest shift with her, is that she's very unabrashed to it, to a degree that even Bernie Sanders wasn't. Bernie Sanders still, still kind of couched his idea of socialism in, like, this Scandinavian socialism, or, like, 
he keeps saying democratic socialism, which implies that socialism isn't democratic, which I think is kind of dumb. And when the definition of socialism is that's supposed to be democratic, obviously, or else it's not worth pursuing. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not like that. She's very unabashed. I mean, even today she was talking about how, you know, what nobody who stood by while the GOP invented $2 trillion in tax cuts for the wealthy so that people can afford yachts that fit into bigger yachts should be complaining about our fiscal situation now or something like that it was just she's a good poster (laughs) yeah she said specifically she said like you shouldn't be complaining about like people getting cancer treatment or something so like you said before this is someone who wiped out a primary challenger who was like what was he like an 18 year incumbent something like that yeah, people thought he was going to be, like, the next Speaker of the House, Joe Crowley. I mean, he was a powerful-ass Democrat. He wasn't quite the pre in Mexico, but he's still, uh, you know, fucking... It, it was an upset, for sure. I don't know. It seems like she won by just, like, uh, hitting the streets and actually, like, talking to people and, uh, you know, meeting people and, uh, you know, engaging, like, people who didn't vote in previous uh, midterm elections or even presidential elections. I think she, by talking about, you know, issues that people actually care about, and uh, I think there was a certain level of uh, cred she got for being someone who's out of the political system and was young. And uh, Julia Salazar, obviously, is another uh, candidate for state senate, I believe, right? Yeah, in New York. So, yeah, that's another figure that uh, if you're in uh, her district, uh, you got to vote for her. I mean, the last thing I have on this, on uh, Ocasio-Cortez, is there's two things going on in the reaction to her that are funny. One of them is obviously, like, the right wing. Fox News is just going whole ham. Like, she's a total... They they are terrified. Like, she's a socialist. She's gonna, you know, fucking redistribute your mom to the Maoist hordes or whatever. But she... Oh, let's drop in the uh, Alex Jones rant about her Alexandria. (laughs) Hell yeah. I've seen where we've come from. Just like Bernie Sanders says, look how far we've come, almost having communism in America, that I could win the Democratic Party, uh, you know. And this admitted communist that just won the primary in New York, she's a communist who preaches race war, class war, right out of communism. Now, there's her quote. Moreover, this is put out by her. Moreover, not only is this about gender and race, it's about class. Okay. (laughs) Alex on Alex. But uh, he, (laughs) the, and then of course it was hilarious that Sean Hannity shared that graphic with like uh, what uh, Ocasio Cortez wants to get done. It's like, like senior care. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's like a healthcare, like affordable housing. He's like, it's it's all stuff that sounds like really good. And that's like I said earlier, her biggest strength is that she's unabashed about socialism being good for people and giving people good things but of course there are also these centrist lib goons like joy reed and the pod save america douchebags who are trying to claim her and are claiming that this is like just demographics at work that because she won in the bronx and queens just heavily hispanic or you know people of color that they just voted for the with their demographics they felt compelled by their biology to go vote for another person who grew up speaking spanish in their in her household And that seems to me also just, like, such a fucking heinous discounting of her ideology that she is so fucking, like, 
outspoken about. And the fact that the Pod Save America bros are trying to turn her into like an Obama figure or something is just some of the worst. Yeah, especially out after there. that, John Favreau wasn't he signed up for that bullshit like uh, healthcare? Uh, it was kind of like the alternative to single payer. Uh, yeah, yeah, I forget what it was called. It was like the United States of Health or something. Okay, United stupid. States of Care. United States of Care. That's what it was. It was stupid as yeah, hell. Yeah, which was like directly opposed to the Medicare for All message that Ocasio Cortez and a bunch of other prominent uh, people and demanding now. Uh, it's funny to see those guys sort of rally around her and claim her. But you know what? If she's going to be a national figure, maybe it's best that she not antagonize uh, these lame centrists. Yeah, not yet. She'll do it when the time is right, hopefully. But either way, I think it's a net good. The worst take I want to share on it is fucking Trevor Noah doing a god-awful Cardi B impression claiming that Ocasio-Cartez is cool because she talks like Cardi B purely because she's Hispanic and she's from the Bronx. It is some of the weirdest shit that you can listen to. We're playing it here. Yo, this is so amazing, man. Not only would she be the youngest female ever elected to Congress, she'd also be the first member of Congress that talks like Cardi B. Like, this is so dope. (laughs) She's, like, out there... I love it, and I love that she's proud as well. She's be like, that's right, we're looking for health care, okay? <laughs> like, can you imagine her up on Capitol Hill talking to Mitch McConnell, be like, I, I don't think that that's appropriate. She'd be like, don't tell me what you think is appropriate. I'm not voting for you, all your bullshit. Does he have writers? Like, is there anyone trying? Say what you will about Jon Stewart, but like, the dude had the like, jokes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jon Stewart's at least fucking funny. Trevor Noah is, like, he has no idea what a joke is. He has no... There's no construction. There's... I never even know what the fucking punchline is with him. So let's leave Trevor Noah behind because, honestly, I I don't think anyone uh, needs to be convinced that Trevor's pretty fucking bad. But Fox News... He was like a big boss at Fox News. His name is Bill Shine, joins the White House (laughs) after a career of covering up sexual harassment, literal, like, widely shared stories of Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly and others, you know, sexually abusing their staff. I mean, this is the guy who covered it up, and now Trump has hired him. Yeah, and and what's funny is that a lot of the pushback from this is actually coming from conservatives because they're saying that if Shine is in the White House, people might start looking more into the Roger Ailes scandal, specifically with what he knew about it. He becomes like this huge liability even for conservatives. I mean, a lot of conservative groups have said we don't want to see like the ghost of Roger Ailes running the White House comms operation. I'm like, what is this? Have you guys gone soft? I thought this was America. You know, what happened to the right wing in this country? Not to mention, kind of fucking ignorant to say that that hasn't already happened. I mean, right to say that there's no uh, influence of Fox News on the White House is like fucking ridiculous. I mean, it's, you know, he's like Rain Man watching it all day. And that wasn't to say <laughs> that Trump is is mentally challenged. This is me saying he probably has a little TV, like a handheld that he can watch in the toilet. 
I'm glad you weren't uh, resorting to ableist slurs against our president, as you know that I am very big on civility when it comes to political humor. Optics are one thing, but it's like, I mean, based on this guy's record. He's a liability. It's not just optics. (laughs) It's not at all. There's a material concern that these fucking, that's why the conservative, the conservative groups wouldn't fucking care if it was just an optics issue. That's what liberals care about. Conservatives care about money, baby. This is just an example of a really, really great family because Bill Shine's wife actually was in the news. Daria, oh, sorry, Darla. Of course. Of course, that's what her <laughs> the name trashier is. trashier version of that name. Darla. These names are made up. Bill and Darla Shine. Like, they're, they're from a fucking cartoon that my grandfather would have showed me. My, like, non-Jewish grandfather. My Gentile grandfather. Oh, my God. The conspiracy theories on our twitter account i think i'm gonna say a couple one out of ten black boys has autism what are the black celebrities sports stars musicians why aren't they speaking out tonight against blacks targeting and murdering cops um Comical to see these overpaid black sports stars give Black Lives Matter speech at ESPYs. Yeah, she really is going in on just black people. Yeah, a meme comparing Rome to Africa, and she shows, like, I guess a picture of, like, huts. Like, just extremely racist bullshit. And not to mention that she complained that she couldn't use the N-word. Oh, my God. She... (laughs) She's also saying that if white women can't perm their hair, then black women shouldn't be allowed to go blonde. <laughs> and she's one of these, like, lifestyle blog people, like a lifestyle brand. She had a blog called Darla Shine's Happy Housewives Club <laughs> for self-hating, suicidal housewives to, you know, get advice from the wife of a Fox News sexual harassment concealer. Dude, I'm sure that racist mom market is fucking lit. I'm sure it's fertile ground. Like, there's money to be made. We we should maybe target the racist mom crowd. I think conservative American baby boomers would love our content. Yeah, holler at us, uh, Bill Shine. <laughs> it's so funny when you think about the amount that Fox News has infiltrated the White House. Like, like it is... At the seat of power. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Donald Trump Jr. is dating Kimberly Guilfoyle, a Fox News personality. Yeah, she's the one who recently said that she took like a 23 in me and that she's like actually black and like Native American, <laughs> which is a nightmare. 23 in me, in case anyone, any listeners think that that's like based in reality their methodology is dog shit and all it does is like give white people this imagined license to like use words or like think things that they probably wouldn't have thought previously to being told that they're like 11 percent sub-saharan african or whatever nonsense let's also remember that sean hannity i know this was like 600 news cycles ago but it was sean hannity and michael cohen trump's lawyer were <laughs> had that client uh yeah cl- client. attorney client relationship yeah. baby that confidentiality 
everyone should uh, erase all illusions that the I mean Fox News is like just to, to call it's like state media um do you think that's too harsh I mean now it's this I don't know it's I think it's inter- an interesting uh, thing to explore if you thought that our politics were shaped by CNN or something or like MSNBC obviously that's pretty laughable but i think what they're doing right now is trying to take advantage of this narrow period in history in which the right wing in the u.s has this much power because no matter how much the dems fuck up in 2018 they're gonna see a little rollback of it and right now they're just riding they're flying free i mean they are facing very little minimal opposition on basically all of their agenda currently and maybe fox News is just trying to inject as many of these take advantage of it as much as possible it's not outlandish to suggest i mean we saw that infamous quote from what i want to say the ceo of cnn during the 2016 election saying that trump is bad for america but good for cnn and shit i mean they're definitely trying to take advantage of this moment yeah let's just let's dip out of that and move on and plunge ourselves into the City Lab story by Kelsey Lawrence. Why won't millennials join country clubs? Why won't you, Dan? Well, I'm going to read from the piece. Millennials who are burdened with loan debt often can't buy homes, much less drop thousands of dollars on club initiation fees and dues. Annual country club dues run several thousand dollars on average, plus an initiation fee that's usually no less than $5,000. And if Let cost... Let me just pull that out of my back pocket right now. And if cost isn't a deterrent, many young people are put off by the image of the country club, stuffy <laughs> and formal, with old-fashioned dress codes and rules about cell phone use, not to mention the rich history of racial and religious discrimination that accompanies many such organizations. Yeah, why wouldn't millennials want to willingly re-enter the same places where their rich asshole parents would, like, force them to wear slacks and, like, hit them in front of the serving staff and shit? Like, who wouldn't want this? To draw millennials, many clubs feature more non-golf amenities, especially health and wellness options like gyms, personal trainers, and yoga classes. Ugh. So, Dan, when are you going to invest in my millennial country club where you get to unlimited bacon, obviously, uh, craft beer, flows freely, you get, I guess, your own, you get drones for whatever purpose you want, you get, there's apps, the whole floor is apps. I'm only joining if there's an eyes wide shut sex thing going on. Yeah, I think that's a little beyond our price range, but uh, for premium well, we members, dream. yeah, the, I, <laughs> I want to be, you know, I want to. If I'm joining the country club, if I'm putting over five thousand dollars as a down payment, I want to be yeah, able to have sex that, with a bunch like, of masked people. <laughs> I gotta also assume that five thousand dollars as initiation fee sounds cons- like kind of cheap. I've always thought cons- country, like the real deal, country clubs are like super fucking expensive. Ooh, some clubs are offering a one-year free trial membership. Ugh. So it's literally like they're trying to turn it into like a subscription service or something. 
the blue apron of country clubs or whatever. Yeah, and uh, this article is just like an advertisement for uh, country clubs. And it's like, I haven't even thought about the two words country club, let alone like (laughs) thought about joining one. So why won't millennials join country clubs? Because they're fucking lame, you idiots. Why did anyone ever join a country club? And you're totally right that this is a fucking article for like three I'm counting three just on the page that I'm looking at different country clubs that are advertising towards millennials. I'm not going to say the names because I'm not giving them the fucking advertising to the devoted plunge few out there who listen to this and soon to be the masses. So let's go to the pop culture corner. We are going to start with maybe this can be a segment. It's the asshole corner. (laughs) That's right. We've got a lot. We always get assholes in pop culture and sometimes they get a little too close to us. For this week, my first asshole is Harvey Weinstein. He's been an asshole. We've talked about him for a while. But he recently uh, has picked up a new gig, which is being his paralegal on his own case. It seems that... I, 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 Sam, I thought you needed skills to do that sort of job. I mean, that's your line of work. Uh, it's not... <laughs> outlandish of me to say i mean i thought you needed to be more than a fat rapist well yeah hopefully you need more qualifications for that i will say that obviously you don't need a law degree to be a paralegal a lot of law firms do offer a kind of on-site training having said that it is a competitive field that is difficult for some people to crack into in california you do need a certification to become a paralegal like a specific specific thing but outside of there i guess he would be able to work as a paralegal as i said on his own case which seems very bizarre (laughs) he is being represented by an actual lawyer ben braffman but he's working as a paralegal for ben braffman and it's just truly bizarre to me that this doesn't raise any red flags I I think it might be a way for him to get paid for the work he's probably already has to do. I mean, we talked about last week, I guess, what the Michael Peterson documentary where you see how much time Michael Peterson spends with the attorney. You do wind up basically working on the case. But you're also I'm I'm confused about the relationship because he has I assume he has to pay his attorney. But then what his does his attorney pay him to be a paralegal? It doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe everyone's pro bono. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is this is a weird-ass story. Uh, he's obviously free to run on the streets on his $1 million bail, which is kind of weird because, I, I don't know, of the people that you'd consider, like, flight risks or whatever, like, the dude who has, like, enough money to go anywhere in the world and live there for a while it would seem to be, like, a suspect of that. I don't know how this fucking shit works, but... Either way, my small brain is large enough to understand he probably shouldn't be allowed anywhere near anyone, let alone the people who he's paying to get him off for his heinous crimes. It's it's all very odd to me. Well, all right. Harvey Weinstein is a known Democrat. Let's talk about another asshole who is a conservative. This is a tweet from james woods and sam woods in the last few years i mean listen he's had some incredible roles in his life uh you know he was in casino 
He was in Videodrome, one of my favorite David Cronenberg films. He was also in a USA Network original film about Rudy Giuliani, (laughs) which I'm going to throw the clip in here before we get to what James Woods tweeted. We've been hit. Hit hard. A hard, uh, we don't yet know. The loss of life is greater than uh, any of us can possibly bear. In 1940, when London was being bombed every night, night after night, Londoners scrawled a message on the rubble the next morning. We can take it, they wrote. Well, New Yorkers are made of the same tough stuff, so can we. New York and the United States are stronger than any group of barbaric terrorists. The city is still here. It will be here tomorrow morning. It's going to be here forever. guy from where? West, West, West Africa. Huh? Lousy English. No gun. No uh, No crimes on his record. Officers involved while hunting down a serial rapist. The Allo kept going in and out the building, looking up and down the block. He was a street peddler. If he'd obeyed their commands, if he hadn't reached in his pocket, what can I say? They thought he looked suspicious. Oh, I get that, Howard. 41 bullets says they were very, very suspicious. My job's explaining those bullets. So, Sam, what do you think about his performance as Rudy? I don't know. I feel like you he misses a lot. Rudy is not a fucking one-dimensional guy. He's a pretty particular figure. He's definitely a character on the political scene. He's a little more he's a little more nuanced from my standpoint. Well, what happened to Woods over his 4th of July holiday? Over his 4th of July holiday, he received an email and in in classic conservative form, they always have to show the email or the telltale dirty burger or themselves being having a drink thrown in their face by a liberal they always have to show the evidence of them being bullied in like in public <laughs> like this very embarrassing shit they just the martyr yeah, they just throw it up on social media to be like sympathize with me please like i need attention to get me through this crisis so he threw it up on his dog shit twitter and it's an email from his agent saying it's the 4th of July and I'm feeling patriotic. I don't want to represent you anymore. I mean, I could go on a rant, but you know, I'd say, (laughs) and of course, James Woods is just saying that, Oh, my political liberal agent is dropping me because he shared his stupid response too, because he needs to like have this theatrical moment. I guess it makes sense for an actor, but it's just so fucking corny. (laughs) He fucking sucks, and uh, if you were a bankable star, he wouldn't have dropped you. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I'm so upset that we're going to be, you know, we're going to miss out on his fucking red-hot, like, meteoric career. Did you see, oh my god, this, speaking of just, like, careers in the toilet... You know, Jeremy Piven obviously was, uh, you know, he was Ari Gold on Entourage, big movie actor. 
was recently uh, outed as a an abuser uh, in an article. Uh, I don't remember the specifics. The but most shocking stand-up. article possible. Wow, he's Jeremy doing, Piven is an abuser. But he's doing stand-up comedy now. Oh, God, that's wretched. I love that, though. I like when people have to, like... Dude, this is unrelated, but I had the previous people who, at this job that I worked for, which is an awful, like, IT company, they... I recently found out that they, like, got pushed out of the company and had to, like, go get real jobs and shit. I fucking <laughs> love it. it. Whenever I'm feeling upset, I just think about the fact that, like, my former bosses who owned this horrible company that was torture to work for, like, I quit after three months. The fact that they were, suffered that misfortune and they are just fucking, like, me now. Like, they're just out there, like, working. Like, a, they're fucking stiffs. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. It keeps me warm at night. <laughs> And I want to talk about this. This is a secret movie, Sam. <laughs> Filming at your alma mater. Well, yeah, you're right. I, as a graduate of the city of New Orleans, and no, 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 Sam. Tulane University oh, is the on. only main location where we started shooting. <laughs> and then they found out what the movie was about and kicked us out. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is about – this movie that we're talking about is uh, – it's called Roe v. Wade. <laughs> this, this article in the, in the Daily Beast, the headline calls it a disturbing anti-abortion film featuring Milo Yiannopoulos and Tommy Loren fucking awful this i i am disgusted to find out this is being filmed at my or was being filmed at my alma mater but props to them for (laughs) kicking them out apparently tulane is not the only one who got really pissed once they found out what the movie was about apparently crew members said that the filmmakers misrepresented the project from day one distributing a whitewashed synopsis (laughs) and Okay, apparently, like, the script includes several graphic scenes depicting aborted fetuses, according to several crew members. Jesus Christ. And they had to speak on condition of anonymity, fearing reprisals. I, this is something that I really like, because this whole, the whole thing with Tommy Loren, you know, t- Tomato Linguini, and Milo y- Yabadabadopoulos. Yabadabba. Whatever the fuck his name is. The, the thing with them is that they're the, supposed to be, what, the brave truth tellers who go out there, and they're just like talk the conservative talk and make everyone you know they just crush people with their fucking bravery and their logic and here they're like sneaking around lying to the people who they're trying to con into allowing them to shoot their shitty movie they're lying to those people they're setting their own crew up in these like delirious non-disclosure agreements they're clearly just being such fucking secretive pussies about it the whole time like what is wrong with you (laughs) the film's director and first assistant director dropped out on the first day of shooting oh my god so they they can't even like hire some like everyone hates them so much that they can't even hire someone to fucking direct this shit they can't even like pay anyone to do this trash for them what a waste of fucking time so the writer producers um Nick Loeb and Kathy Allen had to take over as directors. Oh my god. A costumer, location manager and several other crew members abandoned the project upon learning of its severe anti-abortion content. Oh. So funny uh that 
it was too crazy for conservative actors Stephen Baldwin and Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> too crazy and, for Stephen Baldwin? Good lord. But the cast has John Voight, Joey Lawrence, Jamie Kennedy, oh Corbin Burnson. There are some people some in this, of- but it's also the most random assortment of people that I can possibly think of. It's currently filming under the title 1973. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy plays abortion rights leader Larry Ladder. <laughs> God, is he going to be wearing the, the mask? Oh my God. The son of the mask. Somebody needs to make the making the movie mockumentary, like the disaster artist version, but about this movie. That's going to be gold in a few years. Oh, and let's just be more specific. Tommy Laren portrays Supreme Court Justice Blackman's daughter, Sally, a planned parenthood volunteer who challenges her father. Oh, shit. Playing against character? <laughs> Milo plays Dr. David Sofer, a British abortion doctor who invented the Sofer ovum forceps and who's performing abortions and feels they don't matter. This movie's going to be amazing. It's going to be gross uh, and obviously nobody should have no women should have to like see these fucking images. No humans should. But uh, I'm secretly excited for this because I'm on this show. I crave the awful in the world. It gets me, it gets me through, you know, my daily life. Yeah, I I do have a a secret, you know, soft spot for horrendous, horrendous films. I mean, if if these morons want to just like waste some rich person's money making this horrific film that it's not gonna get like a theatrical run. It's probably gonna go direct to video or like YouTube, where like. Listen, it's not a good thing, but I, I want to see it. No, but there is some kind of, like, we have some some sort of masochistic thing that leads us to to seek out this kind of content, this horrific culture. But we, we like some wholesome stuff. We like some stuff that's not as vicious. One of them, I guess, is comedians in cars getting coffee. I think the conversation around this show is interesting. Because, like, I agree, like, Jerry's lame as hell. But Jerry has always been lame as hell. Yeah, it's like a character for him. He owns being bad at comedy. I don't think the interviews in the show are particularly illuminating. I don't think the show is particularly hysterical in terms of talk shows. If it was a podcast, I doubt I would listen to it. It's aggressive advertisements for uh, the major auto companies can get a little frustrating. (laughs) But... I think some of the uh, critiques of uh, its bouginess, I feel like, are... Uh, we, we agree to Sam, right? It's a little... It's a bit much, for sure. It's a bit much! Because <laughs> all the criticisms that people make about comedians and cars getting coffee, aside from, like, rehabilitating Michael Richards or something like that, which, like, is its own thing. I'm, I don't want to address that. But either way, I think the criticism that it's, like, what... I guess, bougie, or the criticism that, like, what, nothing happens. I'm like, okay, so you're describing Seinfeld, the TV show that everyone fucking likes. So, I I don't know, if you don't like Jerry Seinfeld is one thing, but you can't act like comedians in cars getting coffee is, like, a big departure from Jerry's brand. I think, in general, if anything, it's more of an honest distillation of, like, who he is as a person. He just wants to, like, 
be a rich guy who shoots the shit with other rich guys about cars and like coffee and their daily nonsense. He says that he specifically wants to get the funny things that people say when they don't, when they're like comfortable or something. And, uh, oh, this was interesting. So after his huge Netflix deal, which I guess those episodes are out now, he was sued by a former friend and uh, collaborator. Yeah, this is a bizarre one. And the funniest thing is definitely Jerry's blase sense because he's just so fucking rich. He's like, oh, everybody sues me. Yeah, I bet he's had a lot of people in his life say, like, hey, like, you base that on, on me, and I, I better get some money. Right, because it's a fucking tawdry, everyday <laughs> observation, or, like, some situation, like, getting Chinese food. Anyone could say that they came up with that. Right, and it's, like, it's almost like what the sort of, like, patent trolls about podcasting were doing a few years ago, where trying to basically say that, Sort of, uh, oh well, I invented a po- what po- I invented podcast, so everyone owes me money. <laughs> In general, yeah, there's so much of like that f- faulty patent troll shit. One that really gets me is when people claim that a- an artist ripped off a song that they released earlier. It's always like a, it's there's like, a couple different species of it. The worst one is definitely when aging rock stars sue younger rock star, younger musicians or whatever for their songs that sound tangentially similar to their song. I'm thinking specifically of that, like, Sam Smith song that sounds exactly like uh, the Tom Petty song that's like, I won't back down or whatever. But in general, I think it's just, like, flimsy. It's a flimsy case to be like, oh, what are you going to, like, pull up fucking the musical registers and, like, compare the two? I I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Isn't our whole music tradition kind of based on sort of copying stuff that came before? I mean... I don't know what I, like, yeah. that's that's a that's a more complicated conversation and we have much more to cover this week well all right do we want to wrap up uh yeah Jerry Seinfeld a little bit I, I read a really bad review in Vulture not bad the the quality of the review was was fine but the, the it said that the season was a failure because it's not made for these times and Ugh. you know I, I understand, I guess, that sentiment because I doubt, like, Jerry's, like, talking about Donald Trump. But again, like, do you want someone who doesn't give a fuck, who's not affected by anything that happens to, like, force political conversations on, uh, I mean, people like, uh, I don't know, like, John Mulaney? Like, no, I just want to hear them chat. Yeah, the only thing, only political statement I want to hear from Jerry Seinfeld is him just redistributing, like, all of his fucking money. Like, that, that, that's all I need to, that's the only thing he could be doing that would make any difference to me. It would be so heinous if he came out and he was like, you know, these days, with Donald Trump out there, I feel like I'm under attack or something. It would be fucking awful. And here, uh, keep this in mind for later when we talk about Nanette. But Jerry said in the Tracy Morgan episode, apparently, funny has nothing to do with being true and honest. So let's put a pin in that for right now and quickly talk about um, this game show on True TV where you, you what you dance and then they pay off your student loan or something. This is the worst thing ever. We should play, like, a a clip of it here. Yep, this is a clip from True TV's show, Paid Off, with Michael Torpy. 
Madeline, you have to answer eight questions correctly in 60 seconds in the category of your choosing. Know your major or don't know your major. Do you think you'd do better answering questions around your major of anthropology or general knowledge questions? I'm gonna go with don't know your major. Don't know your major, all right. Throw that answer out the window. <laughs> all right, here we go. For each correct answer, we'll pay you a percentage of your debt. If you get eight correct, we'll pay you the whole amount. Okay. Can we get some dramatic game show lighting? Right? Really sets the tone. <laughs> if you don't know the answer, say pass. Okay. If you know the answer, say the answer. Sounds like simple advice, but it's good. Ugh. I, this is just bleak late capitalism. Like, Yeah, this is some dystopian. It's literally the Hunger Games, right? It's like we have to fucking compete to get our crushing debt, you know, relieved or have even the chance of having that happen. And I saw someone share on Twitter the amount of tweets at michael torpy like the host of the show saying like how do i get on the show it's just so sad it's like this is not i I, like i i guess it's like it's the idea of it seems very compassionate but kind of seems like you know the the aristocrat like throwing money at the poor people and then they claw each other for it no, for sure. It's definitely that's actually a very good genre of horror movies and you know movies like Cheap Thrills or Would You Rather are two that come to mind, but I guess they this is so heinous. They start off with a super depressing fact of the week, which will always be something like did you know that you'll literally never pay off your student loans? Like, you can't get any more depressing than what it actually is. And then it's, it's they'll lead it into, like, a skit. They'll say, like, doesn't that piss you off? Do you want to punch a wall? Well, here's a wall. Punch the wall. Woo! So they, like, rile you up. Like, they're, like, throwing meat in the cage or something. It's like a fucking cockfight. It's weird as hell. That's not, like, solidarity with the student loan crisis. It's just, like, playing it for cheap laughs, you know? Yeah, and the assumption is that the host and, like, the people on the show who work on the show have probably paid it off maybe because of, like, making money off the show. I don't know. It sets off this, like, it's it's like Shark Tank, but even more visceral. <laughs> Okay, and also the rules seem super convoluted in order to prevent you from getting the full, like, 100% of your debt paid off to the point where I think it says you get seven answers right out of eight, then it covers 50%. I don't know. Like, who cares? It's just, I think we've said what we need to say. And Seth Simmons or Simons in Pace Magazine who wrote a good write-up about it, he puts it best saying it's Jimmy Fallon meets The Hunger Games. Yeah, that seems pretty apt. And it's definitely heinous also in the show how they fucking throw they throw in some, like, that, some of that fake solidarity you said, and they try to, you know, talk about, like, the, the, the fucking bubble of student loan popping or something like that. But... At the end, it's not really about that, and it just seems sort of, like, weird and atavistic to me. So, like you said, I think we said what we need to say. Well, let's bring in our guest this episode to discuss a thing I didn't even know we were going to be talking about today. This is, and let's play the trailer. This is Nanette, Hannah 
Gadsby, an Australian comedian. Uh, this is a thing on Netflix that everyone is talking about. I don't feel comfortable in a small town. I get a bit tense, mainly because I'm in this situation. And in a small town, that's all right from a distance. People are like, oh, good bloke. I love being mistaken for a man. I, lo- I wouldn't want to be a straight white man. Not if you paid me. Although the pay would be substantially better. <laughs> I do think I have to quit comedy, though. And it's probably not the forum to make such an announcement, is it? <laughs> I've built a career out of self-deprecating humour. And I simply will not do that anymore. Not to myself or anybody who identifies with me. <laughs> understand what self-deprecation means it's not humility it's humiliation all right we decided like right before we started recording that we were going to talk about nanette so i watched maybe i skipped around a bunch in it and i watched maybe like half of it all told but i feel like i got the gist now Sam and Rachie, you guys watched the whole thing. Yes, I, uh, I I forced her to watch the whole thing. It was very trying. I asked it to stop several times, but Sam does not hashtag trust black women, so he overrode my objections and made me watch the entirety of Nanette. My favorite part was in which... Um, a white Australian woman tells me why Hillary Clinton deserves to be president after all. That was really, uh, I thought, pertinent and uh, quite timely. Right. Now, okay, let's let's have a structured conversation about, maybe we can even broaden our scope to talk about this, like, discourse around Nanette. Now... Uh, one thing I've noticed is people saying how this is some sort of, like, groundbreaking evolution in, in comedy, when I think to me, and I think you guys too, it it was just like a fucking TED Talk. Yeah, I think if anything, it's like a a, a progression of her career moving from comedy. And she does say she's, like, giving up comedy during the special to i guess be more serious she keeps she she comes to this conclusion that she says she's not trying to unite people with laughter or anger but she wants she does want people to connect so like you said i think it does sound like she's going to go just do a bunch of ted talks now right and its characterization as comedy is one of the biggest issues that i have with nanette Um, which is not to say that Hannah Gadsby doesn't have important things to say, but they're not funny. So I don't understand how it could be comedy. But guys, she talked about how her favorite sound is a teacup. Yeah, it was really hard to understand the purpose of a lot of the stories. I don't know why it opened with her, like, making tea in her kitchen with her dog or whatever. I hated that so much. I hate... <laughs> yeah. Comedy special intros suck, but that was particularly bad. Like, were we supposed to think she went directly for making tea in her kitchen, and then she walks out into her living room, which is the Sydney Opera House, because that <laughs> was 
my understanding, is she just lives at the Sydney Opera House then. And why do you think this has like blown up? Like why why is it resonated so much with like American audiences? Like do you think it's just people are dying for something that seems like the antithesis of Donald Trump? I guess my take on it is it's something that would be very therapeutic for someone who believes very fervently that Hillary Hillary Clinton is like a white political queen and that all of the world's problems could be solved by having more white women in power was the gist I was getting from it. Um, and I thought it was very interesting, like Sam mentioned, that she said she didn't want to unite people in laughter or anger. Um, so nothing that would like inspire action. She just wanted to tell her story, which of course is important, but at the same time, it's kind of self-indulgent to tell people uh, that you're doing a comedy special that they can laugh at and enjoy when really you're just talking about yourself for 90 minutes. There's also like deception in the special in that she kind of leads out with comedy, then she drops bombs on you throughout right. it. And it's and I think... The, I it's... found the timing so interesting because I'm pretty <coughs> sure that some of the revelations that came towards the end, which of course were important and it's always empowering when a woman shares her experiences, but it felt like one of those things where if you criticized it without watching it all the way through, then people would be like, oh, well, you missed the most important part. Yeah, there was sort of, uh, this to me struck me as something that was designed to elicit a certain response in like yeah. a given kind of like centrist kind of person who believes in the discourse. Yeah. And I honestly only found out about it because I saw Jake Flores getting dragged on Twitter for criticizing it. And typically when something opens on Netflix to critical acclaim, I just ignore it. But I got interested in why people were so angry at Jake Flores. So right. And why <laughs> Jake's criticism specifically started i think people got mad at him uh not only that he criticized nanette but he said that he had not seen nanette but that is <laughs> right. not a prerequisite to talking about something that everyone's talking about these days i mean and, it, and what he says about it was that uh it seems like the logical end to the the personal journey academic normie hijacking of comedy that's been happening for the last 10 years i don't actually like comedy I could have told you that, so that I don't actually like comedies in quotes. And I feel like that kind of accurately describes, like, what this special became. I mean, she, you know, the idea that you would release a special one-woman show, what have you, where the premise is she's quitting comedy, it just seems kind of like a lie. And the big reason that she's giving up comedy is that uh, she apparently does lots of self-deprecating comedy. She started to worry that her self-deprecating comedy is like a result of her self-loathing and some kind of, you know, an internalized hatred and homophobia from her upbringing in like what sounds like what rural Australia. Tasmania. Tasmania is like devils running around and shit. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know what it's like to come from that background at all, but... I do disagree that, like, self-deprecation is always going to be 
is self-loathing. I think that's like con. Maybe the that's way a she- big insult to your people in particular. I was gonna say Jews. The, the, the Jews. We need that shit. Yes. <laughs> That's, like, gotten us through a lot. Yeah, I think she's ignoring the fact that there's, like, power in self-deprecating humor. Like, if you are the one who is, like, finding humor in your identity, then I don't know that it's some white woman's place to criticize it and say that it's you're doing that because you hate yourself. Maybe she does it because she hates herself, but it's very insulting to every kind of minority comedian out there because she's saying that if your identity is on the margins, your self-deprecating humor is actually self-humiliation. And it's like completely false. She said in an interview when this came out that if you're not doing comedy that fights for oppressed people or something, that you shouldn't be doing comedy. And... No, if you're doing com like if you're doing comedy, you should try to be funny. Yeah, I think that's why like uh, people who aren't graduate students in history go into comedy. It's not because you know a lot about oppression. It's because you're funny. And I got kind of exhausted by the amount of art history references. Oh my god, <laughs> that was the it worst was part. So by pretentious far. ass bullshit, dude. Because the whole time she's like, I learned uh, homophobia or like. I learned gender norms and, uh, you know, hegemonic masculinity through art. And it was, and I'm like, but you fucking signed up to go to the university and study the art. I, I, I could have told you, look, I was a history major in college. The first fucking thing they teach you is that only rich white guys write history that survives through the years because they fucking structure society to value them over everyone else. And it's literally like, she acts as if no one told her this. And I was like, I don't know what two bit university went, you went to that has like no historical context or critical lens, but I don't know. In general, her art references were mostly ham handed. She was basically ended up describing like the bullshit that Jordan Peterson's always talking about these like, Jungian archetypes of like the virgin or the whore or whatever like the it's it was just very hokey yeah and I think it was one of her blind spots where it became very unrelatable for me as a person of color was her seeming outraged that Picasso like made art for white men and not for Australian white women because every other sort of marginalized person knows that art history is not centered around them. So the fact that it was shocking for her as someone who studied it on a college level in the 90s, it just makes me wonder like, how clueless is she? Again, and that's combined with all the Hillary Clinton adoration, which was so unnecessary. I want to maybe tie this all together, all of our criticisms by saying, this does seem like the ultimate manifestation of comedy as like truth like comedy as like didactic yeah i I, this is something that i've been picking up on lately is that people on the left and the right feel like they need to agree with the politics of their comedian they are looking for this sick burn i think it's maybe a result of the john stewart eras where you the birth of the you know John Stewart eviscerates ex Republican politician or ex cable news host, and it gets you know fifty thousand retweets or whatever. And I think this is this trend does tend away towards comedy because at least it's something like what we br- brought up about in that Vulture article you shared about comedians in cars getting coffee. They panned it because 
it didn't deal with the Trump era enough or it didn't deal with like the current political situation enough. And uh, and we, our take on it was obviously like, you don't want Jerry Seinfeld's take on politics, number one. And number two, like not all comedy has to come from this kind of place just because things are, you know, the politics are dire these yeah, days. It's much smarter to stay away from politics if you don't have anything funny to say about it. And I want this message to go out directly to Trevor Noah. If you don't have anything funny to say about politics, don't talk about it. But that's his job, Rachie. That's his that's his livelihood. I guess you guys like don't have time for my anti-Trevor Noah rants, but Well, uh... I feel like that deserves its own uh, full segment rather than squeeze That's that's Patreon content. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do a bonus episode about uh, <laughs> the evils of Trevor Noah. But uh, I do have this Jerry Seinfeld quote that you were referencing specifically he said Funny has nothing to do with being true and honest, and I think that would make Hannah Gadsby spit tea all over her dog's face. But then, if if she's leaving comedy, then then like do you see what I'm saying? Like, don't have these opinions about comedy if you're leaving comedy. Like, if you don't do it, like your your opinion becomes a lot less worthwhile. Or uh, I don't know. It, it was. It just seems very attention seeking, very like yeah. careerist. I, I hate to characterize it in this way because she does tell us stories about her or about her past trauma. But I'm wondering why you're telling. Like, what is this marketing of this kind of? But just exposing past trauma yeah. should not like that doesn't make you funny and it doesn't make like your what you're talking about a stand up special you know it doesn't make it as imp- like as important as you i don't know i don't want to phrase this in a way that like minimizes it or anything right. but it doesn't mean you get to be like a pundit or something yeah and <laughs> i don't think we're criticizing it because she exposes her past traumas i think our criticism is that um the past traumas are the most compelling part of her special, which points to the fact that it's not necessarily stand up. Yeah. Or... If, if it's if it's you know storytelling, then she certainly achieved in telling a story. But like I think about her compared to someone like Moms Mabley or Wanda Sykes, who are uh, black women who are lesbians who are comic legends and haven't quit because they realize their comedy makes them hate themselves. It just, it, it's it's odd when she has, I guess, the privilege of being white in stand-up and... <laughs> but doesn't it not seem like an indictment of everyone else in comedy? It does, because she's implying that if you stick with it, it's because you are self-loathing of your minority identity. Like, if you poke fun at it, it's because you secretly hate that about yourself, which I think is very uh, patronizing. God, Nanette, more like nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, anything else uh, on Nanette, guys? I mean, I, I, I just I can't stand the conversation around this, which seems to, and, and it's again, it's Hillary Clinton esque. It's you yeah. can't criticize my yeah. my uh, like beautiful, you know, like you, you can't criticize her. You know? And I hate this, like, 
continue it's tying into what we were talking about with civility earlier there's this obsession with maintaining this the civil discourse and we don't need to make jokes or get angry we just need to connect with one another and like if as if like a homophobe would watch her stand-up special and be like you know what maybe i should be nicer to gay people and not like beat them up or you know abuse them sexually or any of the stuff that she describes happening to her i'm just like i i don't i feel like this is this might be just my own fucking read on it, but I think this is for, like, straight white women to watch and feel good about themselves that they can, like, appreciate that someone had this happen to them or something. Yeah. I don't know how much of it is looking for empathy or how much of it is looking for, like, uh, maybe validation. And this might be what she, like, wanted, but it felt like she was like, I just want to put my story out there, so if all you do is listen to it, then you can be like, I did my part for lesbians in Tasmania. Which yeah. is such bullshit! It, it is. Like, we, we talk about this all the time, that, like, your consumption is not activism. It's not. Like, you just watching Nanette and not feeling any sort of anger towards the situations that she was put in and the shame that she describes being indoctrinated in her and her telling you at the end that you shouldn't be angry about those things was very, like confusing for me yeah, my because I, it, it made me angry sitting there and listening to her describe the things that had been done to her and said to her and like uh, you know projected onto her it, it made me angry and I didn't understand you know and of course it's her experience I'm not going to tell anyone how to deal with her trauma but I think that one of the you know crucial emotions in actually involving yourself in activism and not just consuming it is getting angry about things. Yeah. Well, now, people got angry at you recently. Uh, this is story time, folks. I have no idea what this story is, so, yeah. Rachie, we brought you on uh, to tell a story. Now, I, take it away. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I would uh, like to start by giving some background. Everyone, I assume, knows about the Watergate scandal that rocked the Washington, uh, D.C. era, brought down a president, and um, allowed the Watergate Hotel to charge like three times as much as they did per night before. And this is um, kind of the successor to that in terms of impact and media coverage. So I'm a little surprised you haven't heard of it, Dan, because um, Succulent Gate was uh, an event that rocked the entire Washington, D.C. and suburbs community. It's the biggest scandal since Pizzagate. Right, exactly. Um, and Pizzagate is real, by the way. I just want to go on record as saying I'm a Pizzagate truther, so please uh, follow me on Twitter. So, um, of course, in the spirit of Watergate, I'm going to be acting as sort of deep throat in giving you information without uh, actually implicating myself in any of the supposed wrongdoing. And I would also like to remind people that, like O.J. Simpson, I am black and have most likely been framed by the LAPD for this crime. Thus, I will be speaking about it in terms of if my imaginary friend uh, Charlie had committed the crime, um, taking a page out of my real father, O.J. Simpson's uh, a book. And that's another bombshell for you. O.J. Simpson is my real father. So again, follow me on Twitter. So... <clears throat> 
my friend uh, Charlie, who committed this crime, is uh, an individual who is obsessed with succulent plants. Um, I think this stems from Charlie's childhood feeling much like a succulent plant, him or herself, and that Charlie didn't need much to grow and blossom, but needed just a little bit. Also, Charlie uh, has been living with his partner, uh, Bam, for some years, and has- Margera? Yes, Bar Bam Margera. He's an Italian-American icon. He was actually uh, in The Departed. I don't know if you know that. He wrote it. <laughs> R.I.P. to Don Vito, too. Gone too soon. Yes. But uh, please don't interrupt me again. Or Charlie will. I don't know what Charlie will do. Okay. So, um, Charlie and her boyfriend, Bam, have been living together for some time. And Charlie's... Uh, refusal to buy a set of drawers had taken over the entire apartment. But one weekend, Charlie got inspired, cleaned up the place, and was like, it's time to get some fucking succulents in here. I'm a millennial, so I can't afford to have children, but I want to nurture something with zero effort because, again, I'm a millennial, so it's time to get succulents. Charlie's a millennial. Charlie's a millennial. Uh, yeah, I'm all speaking like from the point of view of it's Charlie. It's the first person, but we know you're talking yeah. about Charlie. Obviously. Right. You're speaking as Charlie. Sorry, I'm really slow. Yes, you're very... I mean, it's... You got sunburned, and it apparently affected your brain. Our listeners know the speed of Sam's intellect is crawling. He is a fool. Um... <laughs> He's like Jackie Jr. from The Sopranos, if you've ever, ever seen <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, and I'm more like a, <laughs> all right, a, a all right. Tony Soprano character. All right. So, Charlie, what happened next? So, Charlie has had uh, some conflicts with building management, namely because uh, disgusting things keep happening in the elevator and or lobby that Charlie has to see, such as, dog shit mixed with uh, a bouquet of flowers. Why would someone mix that together and leave it on an elevator? Very traumatic. Fertilizer? No, I I'm telling you, uh, Charlie's telling you, Dan, in the elevator, rose petals, okay? <laughs> dog shit mixed together, seemingly by hand, because it was in cohesive piles, and the stems were there. So you know the dog didn't just eat the flowers. Someone mixed that shit and flowers together on the elevator. Also, there's no pool, there's no gym access, which was promised. All right, all right, all right. So, Charlie, what, what happened next? Okay, I'm t explaining Charlie's state of mind. This, Charlie is not someone who would just steal succulents from the lobby, unless Charlie was pushed by building management. Oh, okay. Charging exorbitant fees for rent, but, sure. you know, all this stuff. So, one day, Charlie had had enough. So at 12.02 p.m., Charlie put on a Russian fur hat, because Charlie's a socialist, a scarf that she wrapped around her entire face, and an all-black outfit, and made a, a daring robbery. She snuck down to the lobby, picked up the giant fucking thing of succulents, and made it back up to her apartment, where she put it in a beautiful place. It was gorgeous, and everyone loved it. So imagine Charlie's surprise 
when after a long, hard day at work, she comes back to her building, rides the elevator, and sees a wanted poster, including a giant picture of the succulent and security camera footage, claiming to reveal Charlie's identity. This poster was taped on every door and every elevator and on every floor and shared room in the entire building. Wow. Yeah. Now, now everything in this building, they, they, they put everything on Comic Sans MS, just to give the listeners uh, an image of what this looks like. It's all in Comic Sans. I'll, I'll write it with my naggy white man voice. There was a theft of the succulent plant at 12.02 a.m. this morning at the front door. Management has a video of the theft. It is a female resident that lives in the building. There is a tracking device that Choice Plantings puts in all of their plants. We don't own that plant. What a waste of money. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Anyway, they will track it down. The cameras in the building are very clear. You will be identified. And I just want to pause here to emphasize again. Charlie was wearing a giant Russian black fur hat and a scarf that covered her entire face. So when management says the cameras in the building are very clear and you will be identified, interesting. Continue. So, so the sign sign continues that it says, please can be considerate of your neighbors and return the plant to the front entrance table. You have 24 hours to return the plant with no questions asked. The police will be called and charges mm-hmm. will be filed. The video will be shared with the other residents of the building. So they're, they're pulling out all the stops here. Correct. And this poster includes a picture of the succulent plant that was stolen and then a picture of the, the alleged thief in which you can see that it is a human person with arms who is wear who is not nude i mean this is this pic photo is pretty it's pretty blurry we'll we'll put it up so the listeners <laughs> can uh can decide but but Rachie, me being the uh lover of rules that i am innocent and and completely innocent i could not take this inconsiderate theft lying down so i made it my purpose to find uh, the succulents that uh charlie had stolen that had triggered this uh, manhunt in which the police were going to be called and charges would be filed. And it doesn't say return the plant or we'll call the police. It says return the plant and we'll call the police, by the way. So I happened to, quite by accident, stumble upon the plant which someone had left in the laundry room. And I went straight to building management and said, hey, I saw that poster about the missing plant. I think I found it. And then the building manager was like, oh my God, you are my hero. Can you show it to me? I obviously wasn't going to bring the plant to her office because then she would think that Rachie had stolen it. So we go down to the laundry room. She finds the plant and she's very thankful. She tells me I'm like her favorite person in the building. And while we're riding the elevator together, she turns to me and she says, um, I know exactly who did it. I saw her face. I could recognize her anytime. I got a very clear picture of her face. <laughs> and I, of course, found that statement a little funny because some people think that Charlie and I kind of look alike. So wouldn't it be hilarious if if she had mistaken me for the person who stole the plant and then people pretended always... to find the plant and then told her she found the plant and then she was in the elevator with the actual perpetrator claiming she knew exactly who it was while lauding me for uh, my commitment to the building and, and following rules. Something tells me that she's either a fucking idiot or a fucking genius. 
And she's playing mind yeah. games. She's playing mind games, but uh, I have a feeling that Charlie is probably going to strike again, if, if I had to guess. Because uh, in a game of cat and mouse, the big black cat always eats the little white mouse. Wow, that was uh, a profound uh, story time this week, I think. I, I don't even know what the lesson is. It's usually our... The lesson our... is that I am a hero who maintains a law and order and respects a property and ownership by corporate entities as the most important value in my life. Yes, the choice planting company now knows that they don't even need the security tracker. No, they in got the, me. Yeah, they don't need the trackers <laughs> in the plants. What are the What are the chances there's actually a security tracker in the fucking plants? See, now I, this has me thinking. Ever since I saw these posters, which were put up literally on like every Everywhere. door yeah. on in on this in this yeah. fucking. I don't know, high-rise apartment that we live in. I was very intrigued, and I, I thought of just putting the plant in the back of the car and driving, like, out into the country and just dumping it <laughs> on, like, the side of the... Yeah. <laughs> like, what would they Next do? Next time when Charlie steals a plant, Charlie's going to murder it so they can't track it down. <laughs> you full, go full OJ on it right now. Uh, yes. Hell well, yeah. he's more of decapitations, but he didn't actually You can decapitate it, the succulents. Yes, but... Charlie, what Charlie told me was that that's utter bullshit. There's no way that that plant had a tracking device because if it did and the building is claiming they know it's someone who lives in the building, wouldn't they just have gone to the apartment? <laughs> they get the call that's just like, the signal's coming from inside the building. The succulent's coming from inside the building. Yeah, it's terrifying stuff. And I'm honestly, um, if someone is willing to steal a succulent, what are they going to escalate to next? You know, murder? Apparently. Mail theft. Uh, That's a big one. Cooking fish in the middle of the summer without their AC on. Crime in the D.C. area? Never heard of it. I mean, this is probably a gang member, probably someone from MS-13, uh, MS-13 which we've been hearing so much about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, MS-13 infiltrated your building. Yes, to strike terror in our hearts by destroying our home by removing the succulent plant. I was actually trying to make a jab at the Trump administration, if that pleases the court. Um, well, it's obvious MS-13 did it, if you ask me. Why would such a law-abiding government have to stoop to this petty theft? And I feel like the Trump administration is so, like, anti-climate change, they don't even like fake succulents. Like, that's, even that crosses the line with them. They only like it if you've dumped industrial waste into the yeah. bu- the tracking device. It was covered laden in, like, bucket. the BP oil spill. <laughs> All right, folks. This is The Plunge. You can follow the show at plunge underscore podcast, Sam was tweeting up a storm today against uh, Jeb Bush, Sebastian Gorka. Let him have it. That's right. I- I'm not fucking around with this civility shit. You'll get owned on the internet if you annoy me. I might use my alt. And uh, that's on at plunge underscore podcast. That's right. You can follow me at wagstank, as always. Oh, I'm at spaventacular, S-P-A-V-E-N. T-A-C-U-L-A-R and Rachy, anything to plug? Yes, I finally made my Twitter public, so you can follow me 
at original underscore Tituba, T-I-T-U-B-A. Um, and if you don't know who she is, then, well, you should still follow me anyway. We'll, we'll figure it out. Google it. No, um, no, no. We've, just, all, we've all read The Crucible. And ju- like... Just follow me and then DM me. What does your name mean? And I'll explain it to you. Don't, don't give Google any money. So <laughs> I will end the show by saying James Woods, we hope he gets back on his feet real soon. Um, Rachie, are you planning on joining a country club anytime soon? As a millennial, I know I have to join a country club so that I can fight against uh, the myths against millennials. So I'm actually looking into it right now. And as a millennial, my country club club budget is zero dollars. So it's been a little tricky, but I'm looking. And Rachie, just to clarify... You voted for Jill Stein because Susan Sarandon told you to. Yes. So Susan Sarandon has large breasts, so I do whatever she tells me. I just look at look at her. She shakes them things, and I, I do what she wants. Yep. And that's why we have the Trump administration, folks. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's it. Let's, uh, well, we'll see you soon. Bye. See ya. Be a move and kill this track.